Well, amidst this growing hegemonic rivalry between the U.S. and China, President Moon Jae-in has accepted President Donald Trump's invitation to a G7 meeting. While the uh, Chongwade spokesperson Kang Min-suk says this means Korea would become a, quote, formal member of the new international mechanism, some experts say uh, the uh, long-sandwiched country, as has been a cliche here in Korea, uh, Korea once again facing growing pressure to uh, so-called choose the right side in pursuing its foreign policy. So for further discussion on this issue, we are pleased to be joined by a Korean Peninsula expert based in the U.S. He's a professor of national security affairs and director of the Asia-Pacific Studies Group at the U.S. Naval War College, Terrence Rorig, on the line. Hello? Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining us, Professor. Uh, first off, how, how would you, what's going on here? Well, President Trump inviting all these other countries, including uh, Russia, India, uh, to name a few, and South Korea to be members of the G7. Yes, and before I proceed, just to uh, mention that these are my own personal views and not those of the U.S. government. Right. With that said, um, it is certainly an interesting um, proposal here, as uh, I believe as the host of the next G7, President Trump is able to invite some extra countries uh, to attend the meeting, but not necessarily as permanent members. I believe they would have to have a formal vote by the group to be able to have them become permanent members of the G7. Um, But the early reports are that the uh, president is trying to craft some sort of coalition of the willing to uh, band together in relation to concerns for China. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how successful this effort is going to be. When you look at uh, India, Australia, uh, they are in in a different place than perhaps the United States is on some of these issues. Uh, So is Europe. And so I think it's going to be an interesting effort. And then, of course, you throw Russia into the mix. If this is intended to be something to band together in relation to China, Russia is is a very curious addition to that group. And the Brits and Canada have already said they are going to object to that. I think it is important to note, though, that, that there has been some, uh, that the president did note that this uh, membership was an outdated group. And there is some truth to that, that the notion of this particular group of seven being the only ones that should be at the table to deal with some of the pressing economic and political issues of our time. I think it certainly is reasonable to consider expanding the group, but who exactly is in that group uh, is an interesting choice. Right. And as you uh, point out, you're not speaking for the U.S. government. Uh, There are uh, some critics uh, who would say that Trump has uh, up till now uh, not shown any inclination to uh, uh, give any priority to multilateral institutions, whether it's the uh, WHO, which he pulled out of recently, or it's NATO, or uh, it's uh, even things like the Paris Climate Accord. So a bit of a head-scratcher that he all, all of a sudden has this uh, intense uh, concern over the uh, the well-being of the G7. But it does uh, nevertheless uh, put Korea in a bit of a bind, uh, mindful of its very strong uh, economic relationship with China and its strong uh, security partnership it has with the U.S., right? Yes. And, and you know, and I think you're right that it, it is 
it is a little interesting to think about how, as a multilateral effort, uh, you know, clearly there is a singular purpose for this meeting that is contrary to some of the other um, indicators of how important multilateral forums are. But I think you're right that I, I have always thought that one of the most pressing challenges for South Korea in the future is going to be managing its relationship between the United States and China. And as that as U.S.-China relations deteriorate, that is going to become ever more complicated. But I do think that this invitation, while certainly it is being offered in many respects as a um, effort to try to bring South Korea to the United States side against China, I don't think it needs to be that from South Korea's perspective. Hmm. This is really an important forum and gives South Korea a very important foot in the door to be able to participate with um, a number of important players on an economic and political footing here that that speaks very highly to South Korea's growing political and economic clout in the international community. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Maybe you can help us understand why it is um, beneficial in the sense that a lot of people would think, well, uh, Korea could have that uh, more prominent voice and role, uh, especially as it has proven to be one of the more effective countries uh, dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. But they can do it in the setting of the G20, which they are uh, obviously a very uh, good standing member of, rather than uh, joining this so-called big boys club of the G7. Is is there a greater prestige or influence uh, attached with being a member of the G7? Well, I think so. I mean, anytime you're in a smaller group, you are going to potentially mm. be uh, more effective in being able to, to craft policy. And I, and I think you mentioned a couple of things that, that would be very much a, a, an area where South Korea could contribute. And that is, you know, first of all, not only the response to a potential future pandemic, which South Korea gets high marks for its response to COVID-19, but also the planning for the future economic response and recovery coming out of this, this disaster. The more that you can have some of these states work together and plan on a, a collaborative response, as opposed to each of the countries going their own way in a unilateral manner, I think that can be valuable, and, and South Korea can be a very important player in that. Plus, you know, if, if this continues beyond this forum, there may be other issues such as climate change that may be part of the forum discussion, and South Korea has an interest in that and could also be a very important voice um, in this discussion. I, I think as well, I think South Korea will find that there are a number of states that are going to have similar interests with it in regards to dealing with some of these issues, dealing with China, and trying to manage a complex geopolitical relationship between China and the United States. And that may be to South Korea's benefit to be able to have Mm. other important players who feel in a similar fashion as they do. There has been some chatter here in Korea that uh, President Moon Jae-in, with this phone call from Donald Trump, this invitation to the G7, that he shouldn't have been so uh, uh, cheerfully accepting of the invitation, uh, being mindful of what happened with the THAAD anti-missile battery deployment here in Korea and uh, the uh, ire it aroused in China. 
But to be honest, if you think about uh, what uh, President Moon's position is, especially with these contentious defense cost-sharing negotiations, and you have this uh, uh, phone call coming in from Donald Trump inviting you to to join the G7, not knowing whether this is actually even going to happen or not uh, in terms of whether it's virtual and then Trump wanting to be uh, more political and have this be a symbol of uh, uh, the the great job the U.S. is doing by having this an in-person meeting, that uh, Moon didn't really have any other thing to do except just say thank Thank you for the invitation. I accept and, and we'll see what happens. But still, I guess there is that concern that uh, China may uh, feel a, a, a little bit sensitive about it. Sure. And, and I think you framed it very well that, you know, first of all, as far as the risk of accepting, uh, there's a good chance that the meeting, um, you know, it's already postponed to September. It may be pushed back to after the election um, in the United States. And, and who knows then? And while you can certainly frame this in the context of South Korea being forced to choose sides, and certainly if South Korea had turned down the invitation, given the current burden-sharing talks and and other circumstances, it it would have possibly uh, been another point of friction. By South Korea accepting, though, it does not necessarily have to be framed and viewed as a South Korea choosing sides. There are other players that are part of the G7, and it is, again, I think a very important indicator of South Korea's rising stature in the international community. It gives South Korea an important role to play, and I think we'll find that there are a number of other countries in that forum that share some of the same trepidation of trying to to draw too stark of a contrast between pro-U.S., pro-China uh, Positions. I don't think simply going to the G7 is going to provoke China's ire. Okay. If there was some strong language that came from that, then uh, that would be another matter. Right. And then there's this also uh, kind of confusion or snafu over China not being invited to this, uh, whether they are indeed a, a member of the G7. As we know, they are the second largest uh, economy in the world. This means uh, that uh, as far as what the G7 represents and what they are trying to accomplish uh, really determines um the consensus of, uh, I guess, uh, the the ruling global elites, but they don't seem to be in the same page. And uh, if if the host country changes, uh, Professor Rorick, uh, and we've already seen resistance from the UK and, and the France in regards to expansion, and uh, we have uh, hypothetically, again, uh, things can change, but uh, these November elections coming up in the US, uh, it does seem like a, a much more than a zero chance that uh, Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States, that this discussion we're having uh, could be rendered moot by uh, 2021, no? Well, I, I think certainly. You know, there's there's an awful lot of time, though, between now and November, and, you know, it, it is very risky proposition to be betting on, on election results yet at this particular stage. But But you're right that there is, in many respects, accepting this is not necessarily that risky of a proposition for Moon, given a lot of these uncertainties. And again, I think it's it's going to be a very important feather in South Korea's hat, and they will just have to be very careful in how they manage these various issues diplomatically in, in this type of forum. But I think it's a great, a great move for South Korea. 
That that kind of lines up with the recent comments we heard from the uh, Korean ambassador uh, to the U.S., Professor Rorig, where he is saying that uh, Korea is indeed now in a position where it wasn't, let's say, a decade ago, that uh, it's not necessarily going to be a so-called sandwiched country, that it is a strong enough, developed enough country to determine its own fate. It can weigh the risks and benefits of uh, what uh, the pressures they're perceiving from both China and the U.S. and make decisions accordingly uh, to their own national interests. Would you agree with that sentiment by uh, the uh, the Korean ambassador to the U.S. that Korea is certainly now in that uh, much more uh, favorable position as far as leverage is concerned? Well, and I would to a point, but I think that that's easier said than done yeah. in a number of respects. And when you look back, even even to the years during the Bush and the No Mo Hyun administrations, um, you had, I think, the beginning of a stronger, more confident South Korea pushing its interests and not so much being pro-Chinese or anti-U.S., but being um, independent and, and pursuing its own interests in many respects. But yet when you get to practical issues, and certainly South Korea experienced that directly with the sad deployment and the Chinese punishment of the South Korean economy, that that can be a much more difficult challenge when you get to the reality of some of these circumstances. But I think you're right that in, in many ways it is going to be a South Korea that is stronger, more confident, pursuing its own interests. But yet the alliance with the United States remains crucial to South Korean security. And it is going to be a challenge to manage that relationship with the uh, challenges of China as well. Yeah, and the reason why I ask that, and it's sort of a follow-up to what you just said, is that uh, that could be the sentiment uh, from from South Korea's side is that uh, we are indeed uh, strong enough and independent enough to to make our own decisions here, uh, despite be, uh, facing that pressure from both uh, the U.S. and China. But it is quite apparent in the decision to accept this invitation that it does stand in contrast to traditional allies like Germany, like U.K., like. like France, in the sense that they are able to make public statements saying that we do not agree with this expansion of the G7. In fact, uh, Angela Merkel of Germany basically said, no, Donald Trump, uh, it's not safe yet uh, in terms of an in-person summit. Uh, We uh, are going to stay in Germany until this uh, whole COVID-19 situation uh, stabilizes. And so Germany and Merkel's response does seem to stand in contrast with the the immediate acceptance by Moon Jae-in of this issue. I know it's an apples and oranges uh, comparison, but it does seem like uh, Germany still is in a different place. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think there are, are a number of different examples of that within within the group. Uh, but there are tensions within the members of the G7, as, sure. as is, you know, been clearly the case. And you have some of those different perspectives. But I think it also, you know, again, when you look at the risk that some have suggested South Korea is taking by coming to the meeting and that it looks like it is siding with the United States versus uh, China. Certainly there is, there is some degree of looking at it that way, but you also see that South Korea will 
potentially be able to dialogue and work with some others who are like-minded in its not wanting to have to choose and being able to sort of navigate that difficult strait between those two countries. Well, speaking of then the defense uh, relationships uh the U.S. has with various countries, uh, this decision to pull American troops from Germany, uh, do you feel that there is a little bit of a uh, correlation uh, in terms of uh, what Merkel did in terms of publicly snubbing Donald Trump, which he, uh, by most indications, does not appreciate, and this idea that troops were pulled out. And uh, again, here in South Korea, people are very mindful of that situation in the sense that this uh, defense cost-sharing agreement could lead to a breakdown that ultimately uh, could lead to uh, a very big decision on troop deployment in South Korea. Well, it, it certainly looks like there is a correlation between those two issues, but, but I, you know, I certainly don't know that for sure. I think it's important to remember that, that alliances, particularly that last for as long as the NATO alliance, as the U.S. alliance with Japan and with South Korea last, that the alliances are going to change, and there is going to be an evolution. Certainly the U.S.-South Korea alliance has evolved over the years. And so I think it is certainly reasonable to look at those issues. My concern is always how it happens to Mm. be done. And Mm. if it, you know, in the German case, is the fact that it is done simply as retaliation, that is concerning. Likewise, any sort of change in regards to the U.S.-South Korean alliance, if it comes across in that manner, that's concerning. But you know, as the as the years go on, the security environment changes, alliance configurations, the power of the players change. Those things all mean that alliances and their nature and shape will evolve. But again, it, it's how it's done, and there's a way to do it that does not look. I mean, that, that looks like it's two allies coming to a reasonable joint solution on right. this. Speaking of uh, two allies coming to a reasonable joint solution, then, uh, I, I don't think uh, most people would be naive to think that this acceptance of the uh, G7 invitation will be the magic wand that solves the uh, defense cost-sharing negotiations as it stands. We're well past the deadline. We've had these furloughed uh, Korean workers. That's a big issue here in South Korea, as you are well aware, Professor. Uh, South Korea has made that decision and has uh, uh, procured the uh, agreement from the U.S. side that they will uh, pay for the salaries of those USFK employees. That being said, we're still at a standoff, and I know that uh, the $5 billion number has uh, been deemed to be uh, unreasonable, even by uh, Republican members of Congress, uh, I I imagine even um, um, defense experts uh, such as yourself. What kind of uh, compromise do you foresee happening and whether an agreement can be done at all? You know, I, and that's the million-dollar question. I, I, don't, I don't know. To be, uh, pardon my pun. Uh, you know, and, and I don't know necessarily where the administration is going to eventually come down on this. I would not be surprised, not unlike sometimes some of the congressional uh, budget resolutions that we sometimes have a difficulty passing, uh, that we end up just sort of running with a, you know, quote-unquote, continuing resolution mm. for the remainder of this year and may just work off of current spending levels and not and, and have to revisit this pending the result of the November election. And then, and then we'll have to see. 
Yeah, so uh, just kick the can down the road, uh, see uh, where the voters decide. Uh, as we say, it's a very tumultuous time right now in U.S. politics, uh, to say the least, with the uh, the protest gathering steam, the, uh, the economic fallout from COVID-19, and obviously uh, the concerns of the health of millions of Americans out there as they go to the polls. But as you say, it's a very dif- uh, difficult decision uh, to make uh, going forward uh, for the rest of the world as well, uh, watching that uh, election in November uh, very closely. Uh, Professor Rory, we're going to have to leave it there but thank you very much uh, for your insights uh, appreciate it and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon absolutely my pleasure